Thank you, Brother Charles. And uh, thank you, Congregation of Southwest Presbyterian Church. It's always a pleasure for me to come here and be among friends. We share much uh, in the very spirit of the gospel. Uh, we have a, a wonderful history together at Covenant Presbyterian Church and Southwest Presbyterian Church. And so I, um, I'm always delighted when I have a chance to come and uh, minister and to help and help all of you. If you would please open your scriptures to Matthew chapter 9. Today's text begins at verse 9. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. Hear now the word of our Lord. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors, sinners, came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well... Have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Beloved of God, our our help is in the name of the Lord. And uh, his word is eternal. All flesh is like grass. Its beauty as the flower of the field. And the grass withers and its flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. This is the word I've just read to you. This word will stand. And by God's grace and help, the word will be preached. Many of you uh, are parents. And you know the struggles that children have at, ch- at, uh, at school, perhaps even at church. When I was growing up in Minnesota... Uh, there were, well, many great occasions of softball games and happy moments, but then there were the occasional little fights and squabbles. It would be very unusual uh, for one of these young ones to come home with a, a fat lip and a, a bruised cheek, evidence of fighting once again with Jimmy. Jimmy's always the one that's problematic here. And it would be very unusual for that son to say to his mother, Mother, I think I'm going to go back to Jimmy's house today. I'd like to spend some time with him. And his mother would say, well, Jimmy, you just, you just saw him yesterday in the playground and he busted your lip. <laughs> Why are you going back there? Well, Mom, I, I, I think I know what's troubling him. And I think what I'd like to do is I'd like to set him down and, and, and talk. Because, you know, I mean, last week he lost his dog. And he just hasn't been the same. I think he's just been a little edgy. If I could just, you know, then I think I can, might be able to help him. That would be a very rare child, wouldn't it? That would, that would be a very saintly moment to remember. And you would be, a, I think, a very proud parent. When we sin against God, we, we, are, we are, as Calvinists especially, as Reformed people, we, we take delight in the fact that he forgives sin. 
and that he is plenteous in grace. And all this is truly the subject of our, of our sermon this morning. He is merciful. He's gracious. But we, we must always remember that sin is always harmful. And now we can't harm God who is a, a, a spirit. We can't hurt him physically. But the scripture would have us know that when we sin against God, it's a, it's a grieving of the spirit of God. It is a piercing of the spirit of God. And it is a much worse it's a much worse incident than a fat lip or a blackened cheek. We sinners are God-haters by nature. We sinners are violent against God. And when God appeared, well, look what our race finally did to him. Nevertheless, God is a physician in Christ Jesus. And he gives us this passage to give us great comfort and great encouragement to go forward Knowing that there is an infinite distance, not between Jimmy and little Tommy, but between our fallen race, each one of us, and the Lord himself. The teaching here uh, this morning is very simple. is that Jesus calls sinners. Jesus calls sinners unto himself. This is great news. Because we need the Lord Jesus. We need this cleansing. We need forgiveness. And he gladly welcomes us. What we see here in the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is going about uh, Galilee and Judea. And he is preaching a gospel. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. John the Baptist came before him. And he was preparing the way because this is a very momentous occasion. This is, would be the climax uh, of the, the long ages of the anticipated prophetic word, all the promises. And it was all coming to, to bear in this time right now. And John uh, is adamant that we, we must make room, we must make room in our hearts for God and make a way clear every obstruction if there's any sin if there's anything that's entangling you in the flesh and the world and Satan just drop it you must receive this one now when he came he came with power of healing and uh, all manner uh, uh, of goodness but principally he's coming to forgive sins to announce the favorable year of the Lord and Faith in his person. The first thing that we see here then in Matthew uh, chapter 9, beginning with verse 9, is that Jesus calls great sinners to follow him. Not just ordinary sinners. Uh, not just sinners that have had uh, the advantage uh, of uh, great catechismal study and uh, religious preparation. Yes, he's calling those as well. But he's calling notorious sinners and tax collectors. As a class uh, in Israel, tax collectors were considered notorious public sinners. Uh, they, were, they had notoriety. They had purportedly, uh, that is to say, presumably compromised with God's law. Now, I, upon deeper study, you might say, well, there, there really is a a case to be made where an Israelite, a Jew, could work for the governing authorities legally. Uh, and if he did his work righteously, 
he could be a tax collector. So the problem is not being a tax collector per se. The problem is that most tax collectors uh, were oppressive and they cheated, they overtaxed, and uh, they took bribes from people and they, they bribed the, the, the other collectors that, that came from the Roman government. And so they, they often were cheats and they were held as a class in contempt by the Jews. We have to remember that, that there was a tremendous bias and uh, not all of it was unsubstantiated. Not all of, us, all of it was not, was, was not just. As a class, they tended to be problematic. And here sat Matthew. Now, Matthew, of course, I, I had you open to the gospel of Matthew. It's the very same person. This is Matthew, the tax collector that has written this gospel. And um, it, as we see it here then, narrated in this passage, here comes the Lord. He's uh, walking from city to city and going to synagogue to synagogue and preaching the word of God, healing and as he passes by the booth on the way, he says two simple things. He says, follow me. And immediately, uh, here Matthew hears it and follows Christ. Now, if you were to be there observing, you would say, well, surely. Um, I, 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 I probably misunderstood here something. I mean, there's a great number of people. Uh, and... Why would, he, why would he draw this tax collector out from the crowd? The Lord has his ways, and they're unscrutable. We cannot fathom the infinite mercy of God. We cannot fathom his, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. And so we, we, we observe here something that uh, should amaze us. And I'm sure some of the people were perplexed, even, even those that aren't Pharisees. No person is beyond the reach of God to save. Should God uh, set his heart to save someone, then his salvation is sure. Uh, and uh, we could get into a lot of theology here. I just want to uh, remind you, because my time is limited, and I've been told that I preach long. So I'm not going to preach long. T- I'm not going to preach long this morning. But... Um, the Lord from eternity past had promised his son, the Lord Jesus, who's the second person of the Trinity, a people. Uh, the, Lord, uh, the Father promised the Lord Jesus a nation. And that nation would be won by his suffering and is by his obedience, by his fulfilling of all righteousness, even the righteousness of the law, which is the righteousness of the image of God in man. And so, since this is a promise, God is committed to give a people to his son, Jesus. And this drawing out of sinners is the way that the Father draws men and brings them to Christ. No one is beyond the mercy of God to save because God has been saving people from the beginning. Now, Jesus then called Matthew not only to be saved, uh, not, even, not only to learn his doctrine and receive all of the benefits of Christ, his healing, Uh, his wonderful comfort and all that, but he also gave him the distinct honor of being one of the twelve. And these twelve he taught as disciples, uh, except the son of perdition, which was Judas, he fell away. Uh, These twelve would go on and uh, become apostles and be sent out 
to spread the gospel throughout all the world. And so it is a, an amazing, amazing privilege and an amazing show of mercy. And so not only is uh, no sinner outside the reach of redemption, but no sinner once converted is outside the reach of doing great things for the Lord. Uh, this, is, this is something that should amaze us too. We can never underestimate what the Lord might do for you, for us. You can receive that grace uh, knowing that the Lord is about doing wondrous things in your life. He is the potter and you are the clay. And it is only going to be, it awaits the latter day to be revealed what he's doing in your life. Matthew, I'm sure at this point, did not realize that he would be instrumental. Uh, one of the most uh, important men to be remembered in all of world history and in eternity. No sinner once converted is outside the reach of doing great things in the name of the Lord. And so don't overlook yourselves, first of all, the potential that God, by his grace, by his grooming, will have for you, despite your age. You're not finished as a piece of pottery until the Lord applies his, gla his glaze. He fires you in the oven, then he's tested you, and then you, you come out as his, as his vessel. And so also don't overlook great sinners. Should someone come in here who's poor and ill-dressed, maybe he doesn't have an education. Maybe he has a prison record. Well, my friends, uh, we're beginning to, we're beginning to uh, see the pattern here with Jesus. Uh, Matthew could have easily have been despised in that way or perhaps even worse. You yourself must never uh, underestimate the power of God's grace because Jesus calls great sinners. He doesn't follow them. He doesn't call them necessarily to merely obtain a, a body of knowledge. He, 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 yes, he wants them to learn justification by faith alone. I mean, that's a glorious thing. We preach that night and day. But Jesus calls us to follow him. And so we must ask ourselves as Reformed people, are we in step with the Lord Jesus? Are we, are we following the Spirit? Are we, are we enjoying the life of God? The life of God. Uh, setting aside the deeds of the flesh. And we follow the Spirit by faith as he enables us. Jesus says, follow me. Now, Jesus calls great sinners to follow him, but that's because Jesus is a friend. He's a friend of sinners. Now, Jesus is a friend uh, of sinners, not for the sake of sinful com uh, company. Uh, I've met young converts uh, that got in trouble in this way. Uh, they, uh, of course, they love sinners, and they find the grace of Christ, and they, they're very excited that God has forgiven them, that there's, uh, heaven is before them. They've got a lot of new friends at church. Everyone seems to think, um, well, this man is it's splendid that he's saved. He's, he's a bit of a celebrity. And uh, I was at a, I was a prayer meeting, a men's business businessman prayer meeting in, in Kentucky one time, and a man was introduced. He had the, the he had the podium for about 40 minutes, letting people know his testimony, but then also his plans to return to the bar where his friends were. And something in my gut really hurt, because I'm hoping that he will do, and hoping that the Lord will give him grace. 
to go back and minister. That would be a very saintly thing. That's what St. Patrick did to his tormentors in, uh, in Ireland. But if he's going back and if he thinks he's strong enough to be with sinners, well, that's presumptuous. He needs to grow. He needs to mature. You cannot love sinners because they are sinful. Jesus was separate from sinners in every way. He was our high priest. He was, he was holy. He, he was spotless. He never sinned. Neither did he have sin because he was the uh, miraculous baby of Mary, immediately born of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, because of the, the, near, uh, the nearness and the, the unity of that, the divine nature in his flesh, can address sinners in this way. We don't have that. And furthermore, our graces, especially as young people, they're active, but we, we still have great weaknesses. The young man at the podium I heard uh, finally fell, fell into disgrace. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened to you. He was a young man. We, we hope he, he recovered. But you see what I'm saying here is that Jesus has the nature and the gifts and graces to do this precise ministry whereas we may not be able to do this. It is a hazard. It is a hazard to draw near, to riotous sinners, especially those in those sins that we enjoyed formula. But Jesus is a wonder because he can go in and out of that company. And there's just nothing, there's no sinful flesh where Satan can grapple him with a hook. That's why we're led away. We have a sinful nature. It's, it's like soft rock on a, on a mountain where a grappling hook can come in and, and dig in. It's got you, and the climber can climb. But Jesus is like a rock, a granite rock. And the grappling hook comes, and there's no getting a, a hold on Jesus because he has no flesh. There's nothing for Satan to draw him away. And so Jesus can come to sinners, and he does because he loves them. Not for the sake of sinful company. Jesus was friendly to all. And Jesus had the ability of looking at the essential humanness of the person and enjoying their humanity. He was not enjoying their sin. I'm sure he was vexed. He, he, could, he, could, he could read the thoughts and intents of the heart and everyone in there. And yet, he understands that this is a soul Yet in the image of God, and that image, however marred, he still would enjoy. So he doesn't do it for the sake of sinful company. Jesus is a friend of sinners for holy and righteous purposes in order to, to help them, in order to minister to their needs. It, it, it's, again, it's, it's like Tommy going back to Jimmy. Uh, he is going there, uh, not because he enjoys fat lips and bruised cheeks, uh, and he's not going there to provoke him again. He's reaching out uh, to see if he might help a man that needs help. Uh, as, a, as a physician, says our text, those who are well, Jesus says in verse 12, those who are well have no need of a physician. Those who are sick. Uh, and then he instructs the, the Pharisees, go and learn. Uh, look, I, 
Uh, I'm glad you give all your sacrifices and all that. But really, what are, what are, at the heart of what the Lord requires, what the heart of what the Lord loves is mercy. And Jesus is that servant of God with a heart full of mercy. And that makes him not only a delight to the Father in heaven, but the hero uh, and the beloved of all who see him for all his goodness. As a physician, he comes to those who are sick. Have you ever done something as dumb as, well, you're anticipating, <laughs> I've seen this, I've done it myself, so I'll say this. Uh, I uh, am anticipating my, my annual checkup. And I don't want my triglycerides to be all out of order and cholesterol and all that. So I will actually abstain from bacon for, you know, a month or so and, and high fatty lipids uh, and things like that in order to, as it were, <laughs> cheat the test. <laughs> now, I, I haven't been very successful. The doctor always catches me, you know, but I keep trying to fool the doctor. I'm really not. I'm not as bad as that. I'm not as bad as your records indicated, you know. I'm not. I'm not. No. The diagnostic labs, they have, a, they have a false reading here. You can fool yourself. You can fool yourself. But um, Jesus calls you, and you don't have to study. You don't have to prep. You don't, there's no prep to becoming a Christian. All right? Jesus accepts you, and he meets you where you are, not where you should be. In fact, throughout our walk with Jesus, as we follow Jesus, we're never going to be where we should be. Because he calls us to be perfect. Yes, he, he, that, that law still stands. Be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. He, we're called to communion with an infinitely holy God. God is not going to compromise his, his essential being. He's holy. And so we're called to perfection, but he meets you where you are. And that's where the physician begins the treatment, the medicine he brings you forward. He's a most wise and most meek and most tender. And then Jesus begins to teach you. And both by his example in life, by his, by his manner with people and his teaching, you, you begin to learn what, what righteousness is, what holiness is. Um, you say, well, of course, that depends on whether I'd be willing or not. Well, that's the secret to the call of the Lord Jesus. We can't. We can't really understand this mystery. But with the instruction, follow me, when it's your time, and if you're one of God's elect from eternity, that commandment comes up with, a, with a, an energy packet of redemptive power. It's called grace. Grace is the power of God unto redemption in the Lord Jesus. And so it, it is not a naked commandment. It is a commandment that is charged. So when those whom the Father has loved and is drawing to the Lord hear the commandment in their appropriate time, they irresistibly come. They will follow. And here's Matthew. He has many privileges. He has a pretty good life, despite the fact that all of his neighbors toss their chicken bones in his backyard. They hate him, you know. Nevertheless, he follows. And that's God's doing as well. And, and, and Jesus knows that. But how will you follow Jesus unless you know him? There must be a period of time where you, you learn his ways, learn his teaching, 
It begins to work in your mind, and then it begins to work in your imagination. You find yourself thinking about the Lord, and then it begins to work in your heart's affection, if the Spirit is in it, you see. Now, Matthew had this advantage that most people in the world didn't at that time. He was a son of the covenant. He was a Jew. Oh, yeah, he was a compromised Jew. But he was still under the covenant of grace, as known under the Mosaic Covenant and the Davidic Covenant. And so he had that advantage. He had some learning. He had some notion of righteousness. He turned his back on some of these things. But he was called forth. How will you decide to follow Jesus if you don't know Jesus? Well, Jesus will make himself and avail himself to you. You learn Jesus, first of all, within the, the community of the faithful. That's how Matthew learned whatever there was about God and could identify the Savior much, much easier. If you're looking for Jesus outside the paths where he normally treads, you might just seek him and find him if you grope after him. Some, I would say probably even many have done that. But if you seek the Lord Jesus in his old paths among his covenant community, uh, that is where you're going to find him. And that's where, you're gonna, that's where you should be directing sinners. I, I, look, I, I am all for the Fort Lauderdale approach. Do you know uh, where you are going to go when you die? Uh, yeah, that's, I've, asked, I've asked that question myself. But most of you are not skilled at preaching. Most of you know a bit uh, of uh, theology, and you know why you, you're a Christian, I hope. I think you know why you're a Christian. But you know, you're making a lot of work for yourself. You need to just tell sinners, why don't you come to church and taste and see that the Lord is good. Just, just come and experience the love of God where God can be found the most easily. Why do we work so hard at learning all these schemes when really the house of prayer, the house of communion? I said, why do you say that? Uh, why do you say that? Well, uh, I'll, say, I'll, I'll, I'll say why. Because Jesus actually is, is enjoying the company of sinners and he will recline and make himself known to them. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me get to my third point. My third point is that um, this approach of, this, of the physician spending time with the sick ones, this is what the scribes and the Pharisees should have been doing as doctors in the church. Now, doctors, uh, the old definition of the word means a teacher. But a teacher who holds the truth is, is holding medicine out. And this is what they should have been doing all along. But they, according to the word Pharisee, the, the root word of the word Pharas, means to separate. They have separated themselves so much from sin that they didn't come anywhere close to sinners. They were like that early convert, not a doctor. They were like that early convert who dared not approach anyone. Uh, because I mean, the bar is full of sinners, I'm not going in there. But they were the physicians. They had the cure. They were supposed to be doing this. And when they saw doing, uh, Jesus doing something that they dreaded and they hated, then they despised. They despised him. Third point of the sermon that Jesus was held in contempt by self-righteous hypocrites. The Pharisees here did not repent at the preaching of John the Baptist. They thought that they were righteous. They, 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 they really, in conscience... They looked at the law of God and they said, yep, that's me. Yeah. These, these commandments. Wow, that's me. I have no need 
of repenting, as in a mirror, but they read the mirror badly. They thought they had no need of repentance. They were very religious. They were zealous. They were very, very learned. Don't think for a moment that uh, we must disparage, every, we must hate everything that the Pharisee did and stood for. Many Pharisees had memorized lengthy passages of the Old Testament in their Hebrew. Many could sing every song. Many were great men of prayers. But the problem is none of these things amount to righteousness. We still have an infinite gap between the best, most learned Pharisee and God. And we need to close that gap with true righteousness or we stand condemned. But they couldn't see that God, God's righteousness was out of reach, even by their best efforts. The Pharisees were exacting in the external use of ordinances. But they did not like Jesus' teaching because Jesus reached the heart. Jesus went far beyond. Jesus wanted to cure the external manifestations of sin by cutting it, the power of the engine in the heart. The first brewing of that poison was cured before it, uh, the outcropping, the, out, the outmanifesting. And, and so the Pharisees didn't like that. They did not like that approach. And they did not like Jesus, and he especially did not like his friendship with sinners. The Pharisees stressed obedience, and they certainly did not, that, that the hallmark of their uh, religion was not mercy to sinners. Rigorous and sacrifice, but not an extension uh, of, of mercy and compassion to those that had not, that are outside the grace of God. And so they questioned the other disciples here. They wouldn't come to Jesus himself. How many? <laughs> many of you have questions, but you know you're afraid to approach your best teacher, your, your, your pastor. You're afraid you might hear something that you might not like. And so you will approach a Sunday school teacher or you approach someone else. And most of your question maybe has a, a little complaint to it. You, know? uh, you're, you're, you, you, you don't want to avail of the master teacher, because in times past when you've done that, well, it, it, the, the outcome was not what you wanted. But they, they, they approached, the disciples approached, the, uh, the, the Pharisees approached the other disciples, um, and they showed their disdain. But God commands mercy rather than mere uh, outward manifestation, mere outward performance to his commandments. Why is that? Because at the heart of whom God is stands mercy. When you think of God, you must think of him in all, all of his attributes. And we can't do that because we're finite and we have to think of one perfection of God and the other. We think of mercy, we think of justice, but they're all infinite. But we cannot deny the Lord his expression of mercy because he is, in essence, mercy itself. And Jesus then being the Son of God, and God himself exhibits his nature. Jesus is the divine Son of God in the flesh, and so he exhibits what God is, and that is, he is merciful, and he's merciful to all of his creation, but especially his covenant people, and he feels compassion for those that are lost. And so here's Jesus does something remarkable, and this is very, very distasteful, to the Pharisees. 
he actually reclines at table. That is to say, he draws back and takes time to be with this company of sinners. Now, you have to understand, the Lord Jesus is the Savior of the world. In fact, he is the most important man ever to have been born in the world. And yet he is not on a clock. And he will take time out of pure interest to this person to help them, to be with them. Jesus reclining at table with tax collectors and sinners. Now, remember, that's a beautiful imagery, of course, of the Lord's Supper, where he joins us. He knows that, that we are yet sinners, and we're, we're washed by the word, yes, and we are cleansed when we confess, but we still have sin. And yet he will take time with us. Re- remember that when you are at table, that this is a communion, this is a, this is a fellowship. Uh, you know, Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is faith in Jesus Christ? Eh? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Christ for salvation, as he's offered to us in the gospel. Well, Jesus receives us and is willing to rest with us. And who are we not to receive him and rest with him, reclining at him? This is what we mean by communion. Uh, Communion is not a religious word. Communion means a free and easy friendship. And that's what we have with our Lord. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And that is a marvelous thing. It's a delight to our souls. And, and because we love him and we know that he loves us, we love whom he loves. And so when we recline at table with other Christians, especially at the Lord's table, we are to love others because they are well received in the beloved Christ. And that is the life of God as expressed in heaven and forever. It's a community of mutual giving and receiving and resting and being with one another regardless of what we're doing. And so uh, Jesus affectionately, mercifully shows sinners the love of God. He's an example to his disciples. He's still teaching. The Pharisees are unteachable. The Pharisees will not receive this because there is any, uh, already in their hearts, there is a brewing animosity to everything that Jesus represents because Jesus is God and the unregenerate heart is at war with God. Make no mistake about it, this is war to the very end. Jesus then rebukes. This is a rebuke. Not in words reviling the Pharisees, but by his example. The best rebukes you could give to self-righteous hypocrites is to show mercy to them. To show cold-hearted, uh, cold-hearted and externally uh, religious fanatics what is really at the heart of God. Now praise the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus for his marvelous wisdom and his faithfulness in being merciful. Praise him for his great wisdom as a teacher. Praise him that he gives you every incentive to follow him because he will receive you and he will recline with you. And then learn what it is to receive of him and to 
recline with him. Take time to be holy. Take time to be with the Lord. He will avail himself to you. And the advantage you have is although you are a sinner and will always be a sinner till the very end, you will not contaminate him. You will not repel him. There's no, there's no danger in being the friend of the Lord Jesus. Have, have you heard this call to be the Lord's disciple? Have you, have you heard the call to learn from him? Are you learning? That's the call of the Lord Jesus. When we follow him, we follow as learners, lifelong learners. When we follow him, we learn to put aside the things that displease God. When we follow him, we learn to now take up the things that please the Lord. Are you learning? Do you know the comfort of the Lord? Have you, have you sensed the pleasure of the Lord? I'm not saying every time. Sometimes prayer is exceedingly difficult. Sometimes a prayer is an agony. But sometimes suddenly the Lord arrests your prayers and says, Listen, it's okay. My righteousness in Christ, my blood avails. My promises stand. My steadfast love to you is forever. Your soul knows it. There's a sweetness in reclining with the Lord Jesus. Look for that. If you haven't experienced that, ask the Lord to please show you his essential glory. And when Moses asked the same of Jehovah in the rock, in the cleft of the rock, you know what the Lord Jehovah said? The Lord, the Lord God, a God merciful. Merciful. Which despite the thunderings and the quaking and the, the tremendous blackness of that Mount Sinai, was able to soothe Moses in the presence of God. A God merciful. And then learn that mercy. Learn to be merciful to sinners. Follow Jesus in this practice. Beware of self-righteousness. The more we learn, the more that we think we are separate from the world, the more, the more instruction we have in religion, the more we may be at risk of deceiving ourselves that we are something when we are not. We must always go back to what Paul asked the, the Corinthian Christians. Who made you to differ? Who, 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 why are you the way you are? But Paul says, it's by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so give God the glory and learn what he really is and follow his steps. Jesus calls sinners and even great sinners unto himself. He's, he calls us to follow him. He, he's, he's, he's the friend of sinners. We mustn't hold him or his mercy, the mercy of God in Christ, in any contempt. For we all need this Savior. Let's pray.